0: Let us pray. Father God, as we have been singing, come Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on us today. We pray that you would come to us by your spirit so that the the presence of Christ among us would be very real to us the desire to become like Christ would burn within us. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us by your Spirit just now. Amen. This morning we're coming to the end of a series that we began, seems like ages ago, um, probably was ages ago. I'm called, I've called this last part of the series, How God Makes Us Good. And in recent weeks, we've been learning together from God's word that God wants us to become like him. We noticed uh, a phrase in Second Peter where we're told that God wants us to participate in the divine nature. In Romans 8, Paul says that we've been chosen by God to be conformed into the likeness of his son. Now, this is huge stuff. I don't take for granted at all that I've taken this on board properly or that that we as a congregation have. But I want you to dwell on that. We're to be becoming like God. We're to be becoming like Jesus Christ. Now, although it's God's great desire for the world to be full of people who are like Jesus Christ. God doesn't force this. It's not automatic. Coming to church for years doesn't generally or sorry doesn't necessarily change a person to make them like Jesus. Being a Christian for decades doesn't in itself make a person more like Jesus. There's a real process to be entered into here. This, this needs to become the active intention of our lives. Transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ must become our deepest desire for ourselves. Nobody's ever going to drift into this. It doesn't matter which church you belong to and, and how good you think that church is, unless you yourself engage with the grace of God and open your life to what God is wanting to do in you then you will not be transformed as I, I said maybe provocatively a few weeks ago if we, if we really say that we want to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ we might need to have another look to see if a lifetime of watching reality TV and consuming just like everyone else around us is going to be the right context for God to change us we need A passion and a desire, an intentionality to become like Jesus. This needs to be the goal of our lives. This needs to be our very way of life. Our lifestyle. Do you understand that your walk with God is your lifestyle? There's no bigger commitment in your life. There's no overarching uh, passion in your life than, than becoming like Jesus Christ. Last week, we thought together about how Jesus made disciples. How did he actually spend his time with the 12 guys who are around him? What practices or habits did Jesus use so that these men would be transformed and would one day grow to be more like him? And remember, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He wants to create disciples. They're his apprentices. They're learning from him how to be like him how to participate in the divine nature, how to be conformed into the likeness of God's Son, to use those biblical phrases. We looked together quickly at lots of incidents in the the Gospel of Mark, and we built up a picture for for the kinds of things that Jesus did with his disciples. Scott, if you could maybe show that slide at the moment, Jesus and his disciples. Um, Let's remind ourselves. Sorry, if you go right through to the tenth one of that presentation. Brilliant. Brilliant. The next one that's it Um, everything is there that we talked about last week these are the things that we, we noticed that Jesus spent his time doing with his disciples he was in friendship, did very few things alone, always working with his disciples they were often in people's homes enjoying hospitality meals were very important to them read the gospels and look out for it Jesus is often around the dinner table So those first three talk about a real life together, a relationality. So if we're going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, maybe we should expect to be living this kind of a life. Jesus sent his disciples out on on mission, uh, meaning just simply that he sent them out to do the same work that he was doing, preaching, healing the sick. But he also allowed them to have a retreat from that, a break from that, a rest. So they went to places of silence and of solitude Jesus taught his disciples Uh, that's probably one of the things that we would think of first of all when we think of Jesus work with his disciples God's word was central to that so scripture had a, a, a central role in all that they did observation was one that we might not have thought of but Jesus often walked along with his disciples and said well what do you think of that fellas did you see that what does that mean what does God's word have to say about that So they learned to to see the world in which they were living And to respond to it Jesus and his disciples spent loads of time among poor people That was sort of their default community Not the wealthy and the intelligent But often the downtrodden And they lived a life that was very, very simple Jesus basically told them, right, go out there Don't take any stuff with you Because this isn't about stuff this is about relying on God and and God being all that you need. So that's just a very quick recap of the kind of stuff that we thought about last week. Um, As I said last week, and we can put that slide away now, Scott, thank you. As we said last week, that ought to interest us. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be interested in the kind of things that Jesus did and the kind of life that he lived because his task and ours are exactly the same. Jesus came to make disciples in that aspect of his ministry. And then as he was leaving the earth, what did he say to his followers? Go into all the world and make disciples. Go and keep doing the stuff that I've been doing with you. So all of this stuff that we saw here on the slide ought to be very interesting to us because we have the same desire to be a community of people who who make disciples, who who become disciples of Jesus Christ and make others. As as, As I asked you to do at the end last week, I asked you to think, well, how much of this stuff does our church life actually do? And we weren't able to tick that many of the boxes, maybe three of them. And that's okay because we now know that we have seven to be working towards. But I wonder what church would be like if church took this more seriously. If church really started to do what church was always meant to do, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, it might change the, the way we do some things. I'll come back to that just very briefly at the end we're talking here about the habits or the practices that allow a person to to open their life to God to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and I want to look at this same question from a different angle for just a second I want to talk about spiritual disciplines the spiritual disciplines are just a collection of practices that have become important to to God's people throughout the history of Israel And then the history of the church uh, that have allowed them to open their life to God. Now it's impossible actually to come up with a list and say this, this is the definitive list. There's no such thing because there's all sorts of practices that people have found helpful in their life with God. But there is some common agreement about what some of the major practices are uh, and some of you have had the chance to To identify those, as you've looked at Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. If you're in a discipleship group, you'll have been using that book and learning about some of these disciplines. Scott, if you could show the next slide there, spiritual disciplines, we'll see a a list uh, of the 12 disciplines that Foster uh, mentions in his book. Now, I don't want to go through these in any great length. There's a lot to learn in each of these areas. One thing I'd want you to notice is that we're already doing some of these. This isn't stuff that we're not doing. The ones that struck me as as ones that we're already doing are, are prayer, study, and worship. Those three are quite central in our way of following Jesus Christ we meet for worship we know that it's important to be studying God's word and to be praying but there are a lot of other things there that we probably don't do very often or at all and yet over the years these things have been wonderfully used of God to open people's lives to the the spirit and to the presence of Jesus there's some there that I think we're learning I think we're learning celebration. I don't know if you've realized that, but some of you have come for the last couple of years to harvest meals where we get together and just celebrate God's goodness in the harvest. I think that's a, a celebration moment. On Wednesday night, we're going to gather together and 300 of us are going to pile into the back hall and have mince pies together, celebrating the birth of Jesus. And the celebration in itself has a lot of worth Uh, for god's people so that's one that i think we've been learning there are others here that we are definitely less aware of uh, but could be learning a little bit about Uh, this morning that's probably all that i need to to say scott if you could put that list away that would be great i want to take a moment to think with you about those spiritual disciplines Particularly, I suppose I'm speaking to those who've had a chance to engage these as they've read a bit about them in their, their discipleship group. This isn't a new legalism. When you see a list of 12 things up there and you think, oh goodness, I can only take three or, or two or one of those. All of a sudden it feels like another area of Christian living where I'm failing That would be an entirely wrong understanding of the the spiritual disciplines. Becoming familiar with the disciplines should never, ever seem like a burden. If it does, there should be just a flashing light goes on, alarm bell ringing, because it means you've gone off, you've gone on the wrong track somewhere along the line. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he invited them to follow him into the life he was inviting them. What did he say? He said, come to me if you're weary and burdened. So if you're already clapped out, if religion is is killing you, come to me because I'm going to give you rest. He says, my way is easy and my burden is light. Discipleship with Jesus Christ is never onerous. Now this needs a wee bit of thinking because Jesus said it's going to cost us our whole life and he's right. This is going to cost us everything that we have but when we enter into it, it's not onerous. His yoke is easy, he says, and his burden is light. So this isn't a new legalism. I want to clear up some other things as we come to the end of this series because... It may be that there are some people who have been listening to the things that we've been saying, have been reading God's word with us, and have wondered if this series has had an overemphasis on works. It began a way back in Titus, where Paul teaches time and time again that God's people are supposed to, they're supposed to do good works. He just goes on and on about that. Maybe you're here this morning and you know your theology. You know that you're saved by grace and not on account of any good works that you do. Well, remember what we said. We said that good works can never make us acceptable to God. But we then went on to recognize the crucial role that good works have in the life of anyone who believes. We live good lives so that no one will ever have a bad word to say about Jesus. We live good lives so that they're drawn to Jesus. That is the reason. Nothing to do with us being accepted by God. So good words don't make us right with God, but they're still crucial. They're actually crucial, most of all, for other people, probably. Probably. For a world out there who needs to see the difference Jesus can make in a life. So maybe that one last time will help you understand the role of good works. There's one other thing that I I felt I wanted to share with you this morning. Maybe like me, you've been brought up in the what's so amazing about grace generation. A few years ago, Philip Yancey's book changed wonderfully the way loads of people in in Ulster think about their faith. He showed us the wonderful scope of God's grace. He taught us that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more and nothing we can do to make God love us less. Now, if that's true, why bother with all this? Why would I show you a list of practices or disciplines Why work hard in our life with God if if nothing makes him love us more or less? You know, there's a way of understanding the kind of thing that I'm talking about here today where somebody might say, yes, that's all very well, Christoph, until you understand grace. And then you move beyond that. Well, that would be a total misunderstanding of of what we have been talking about here and what the Bible teaches about how God changes lives our lives are changed by God's grace only by God's grace and here's the thing I I want you to really try and remember this God's grace is not opposed to our effort it's only opposed to earning do you see the difference? God's grace, we we can't earn anything because God gives us all his goodness. But God wants us to to make that the passionate desire of our hearts and lives, to to strive for his presence in us and working for us. So God's grace is not opposed to, to effort, but only to earning. And it's once we understand that, that the New Testament starts to make sense. That the same book that says that everything is by grace can talk about, about the struggle, the, the effort, and the striving. It's why in the passage that Rosie read for us this morning, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, train yourselves to be godly. Train yourselves, work at it, practice it. Make it the the routine, the practice, the pattern, the habit of your life. Make godliness the thing that you pursue. None of that, believe me, stands counter to grace. It's simply a way of of opening our lives to the grace that God wants to give us. I want to say a couple more things very quickly to anyone who's become interested in, in practicing the disciplines. If you've been reading uh, Richard Foster, you've probably felt at least once or twice, goodness, this is really hard. How could I do this? I would want to encourage you to be creative and experimental. Pray for one area in your life. Pray for God to show you one place where you need to change. Then go and look for the discipline that most directly addresses that particular issue. And this is this is really down-to-earth stuff here. Let me give you an example. Maybe you struggle in your walk with God because you don't really understand what God's will for the world is and what God's will for you is. You, you don't really know what it's all about. You don't understand. Well, then the discipline for you is probably study. Give yourself for the time being to studying God's word, to reading the best Christian books that, that some more mature christian can point you to give yourself to that make that make that a discipline in your life and that will be a wonderful channel of god's blessing to you that'll be one of the ways in which the likeness of christ will begin to be born in you but maybe you're at a very different place maybe you know the theology like the back of your hand and maybe you're in a place where you've become proud. And in a place where you, you crave attention and always need to be in the public eye. Maybe that's where you're at. Well then there will be different disciplines for you. Maybe the, the discipline of submission. Submission. Where you find at least one place in your life where you submit yourself to the authority of someone else and learn what it is to be a servant. Or if you're, if you're too much in the public eye and profile is too important to you, learn the practice of secrecy. Where you no longer talk about anything that you do in public. You allow God to take care of your public relations. You're content with as much recognition as God brings to you rather than creating it and seeking it for yourself. That's a spiritual discipline. Secrecy. You can read about it in, in Foster's book uh, that, that we'll be studying here. All I'm saying here, folks, is that the best way to approach this is not to charge in, look at 12 disciplines, and say, right, I want to learn these all. No, choose one. And dwell on it for weeks and months and years if need be. And see if God wouldn't use this to change one part of your life. There's a, there's a funny reality here, and this might help you to think about the disciplines. Success with this way of living doesn't mean that you're somebody who practices the whole list that was up there. Success means you don't have to practice any of them anymore because God's already changed your life. The goal here is not to be somebody who practices loads of spiritual disciplines. The goal is to be somebody who's changed into the likeness of Jesus until that's dead natural. And you don't need to do these kind of things anymore or not in the same sort of structured, rigorous way. I want to say one last thing on the disciplines and on this kind of intentional Christian living. And I say it, I don't know if I would say it in every context, but I feel I must say it at Kirkpatrick Memorial because of what I know about the lives that many people here are living. I'm speaking particularly to those who are up to their eyes and beyond. Maybe who are struggling with busy careers and busy family life, both at the same time. Who just haven't a moment in their lives. Maybe you're a young mum, for example, and you're listening to what I've been teaching these last weeks, or you've been going along to a discipleship group, uh, and, or you've been reading this stuff in celebrations of discipline, and you just look at it and you think, I can't do that. I can't do any more than I already do. I used to be able to read my Bible and I used to be able to pray. I used to be able to work on my spiritual life. But all that was before I became a mum. Not anymore. I'm not that kind of person. I can't do that kind of thing, is what you end up saying to yourself. If that's you this morning, then I think the church has failed you and failed you really quite badly. You see, if you've grown up in the average Ulster evangelical congregation, then you'll have been taught that reading the Bible and praying are the sum of what we can do to nurture our life with God. As a wee boy, I grew up singing the song, and maybe some of you did, Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. And the implication, of course, is that if you don't read your Bible and pray every day, then then you will not grow. Or, by extension, if you're not reading your Bible and praying as much as you once did, then you're going down. You're bombing. You're failing. God can do nothing in my life unless I read the Bible and pray every day. That's, that's what I grew up with. I'm thinking again of that young mother, and I'm, and I'm asking, why is it that she's never been told that caring for her children from the moment she gets up in the morning until she goes to bed at night is the most wonderful life? the most transformative experience she'll ever have because it's the most intense and all-embracing experience she'll ever go through. Why has she never been told that? Why has she never been told that she's living out the life of Christ right there? That the prayerfulness there is is just the prayerfulness that God asks asks for. It doesn't have to be a, a quiet time. What about the prayerfulness during the day? When she, when she thanks God just in a split second because it's all that she has for the gift of these children. Or, or when she cries out to God knowing that she can't face being with them for one more hour. Is that not prayer? What have we done? How have we boiled down the, the life of God into to these set pieces. You know, it strikes me that, I, that this, this person I'm talking about, this, this young mother with her two or three or four kids, she has far more opportunity to learn the life of patience and of sacrifice that Jesus calls us to than the person who spends all their life praying and reading their Bible in their ivory tower existence. I think that in many cases people who feel that they're not living a life with God anymore still are. It's just different. Mine's different. I used to get up pretty much every morning and have a half hour, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour of a time with God. But I've explained this to an evening congregation. That's changed for me now because the first thing I hear when I wake up most mornings is, Daddy, will you please wipe my bottom? And that somehow I just haven't found all that conducive to then going into the the study and reading a commentary in Romans or something. So my way of being with God is having to change. But I don't think I'm not being with God anymore. I'm asking God to help me to learn to serve. I don't even have to go looking for the opportunities anymore because they live in my house they have names they're called Patrick, Sophie and Ruby it takes all the energy I have just just to help look after these guys but it's brilliant that's where I'm learning to serve well, failing to learn to serve but in theory anyway that's where I could learn patience I still, want to, I, I still pray I still read the Bible but it's just different and it will be for the time being and, and sometime in the future I'll, I'll get up and I'll, I'll read the Bible and pray for an hour every morning as I always did but not now I can't because I maybe didn't sleep very well during the night you see what I'm saying here? This is a whole life. Everything in life matters. If you feel like you're failing because you don't read the Bible and pray the way you used to or the way you want to, just park the guilt. Park it for a year or for a decade or for ever long it needs to be parked. The way I deal with that is I say, well... Lord I, I would love to do that but I can't just now so in 10 years time I'll come back and we'll meet in that way again but for the time being we're going to do it differently and the wonderful thing is we begin to see what Jesus is talking about the easy yoke Jesus doesn't want to kill any of us life with him is not supposed to flatten us and grind us into the ground It's a life where you and we talked about this last week where you have meals together where you share hospitality where relationships and companionship are right at the center where retreat and rest is key. If that doesn't sound like the life in Christ that you've been offered then I I give you a choice this morning keep running with what you've been offered or go for what Jesus offers. I want to finish this morning, I have notes over there but I've run out of steam with them so this afternoon we're going to drop Patrick off at um, a birthday party I think it's his first actually his first sort of going out like a big fella to a birthday party, he's going to Esporta the gym, a lot of you will know it there at Hollywood Exchange those are interesting places, those gyms People go there because they want to get physically fit. They know they're out of shape. So they go there in the hope that they can find some help for getting back into shape. They go hoping that there's some sort of expertise or wisdom there, somebody who can point them to the right exercises, the right thing that they could do. They go there knowing that other people are there because they too want to get fit. So there's a sort of a community feel to it. I have a dream of our church of Kirkpatrick Memorial and that it's like a gym for spiritual fitness that this is a place that we come to not because we know we're fitting and well and doing great but because we know we're not because we know we need help that it's a place that we come to and, and we look around and we know goodness everybody else is in the same boat they too are out of shape Unfit, and they too want to learn I would hope that over time it becomes the kind of place where there's a bit of wisdom on offer from people like me and and others who lead here that if somebody comes and says we need help in in this part of our life or that part of our life what's the program for me? how can I open my life to the grace of God? I'd love to have answers for that Nothing in my training has trained me for that, so I'm going to go, need to go away and learn a bit about that. But I'd love to. I, I'd love to be the sort of minister to you and pastor that if, that if I was chatting to you and I, I sensed that you were disillusioned or disheartened in your life with God, that, I, that I'd have some wisdom, the kind of wisdom of Jesus to offer you. That's my vision for this church. not that it becomes huge not that we put bums on seats that we get spiritually fit that we become the people God always intended us to be that we start to look a little bit and one day a lot like Jesus Christ that's my dream because it's what Jesus told me to do Go, make disciples. Teach them to do everything that I've commanded you. Let's pray.